Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. We may have all come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now, is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., the American Christian minister who is best known for advancing civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience. I thought this was an appropriate quote for our discussion today. As our guest leads an organisation that was established to contribute to a more inclusive Australia society and is invested in making Australia a better place to live. In what at times seemed to be a polarised world, the media is privileged in having the power to influence. And in this delicate task, our guest and their team have pursued their cause to generate discussion by showcasing the beauty of our differences that encourages diversity and inclusion, catering to all Australians from all origins. Our guest today is James Taylor, Managing Director of SBS, the Special Broadcasting Service in Australia. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite, world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, Executive Search and Board Advisory Firm. In this episode, James joins us in our Sydney studio and in a candid discussion, openly shares his thoughts on the voices of inspiration, a modern Australia and the evolving role of media in society. So sit back and enjoy Finding a Voice in a world of noise. James, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Greg. When I go home at night, what should I be thinking about and why should I turn on SBS? I think you should turn on SBS because you'll find something you can't find anywhere else. Yep. That's the first thing. I think you should turn on SBS because it, particularly if you're engaging with, with us digitally, they're world-class products, uh, truly world-class now. Uh, I think you should engage with SBS because there's a, a real authentic intent behind the content that we're making and purchasing. We genuinely want to make a difference and we, we are genuinely invested in making Australia a better place to live. And just because it's bloody great content and you're going to have a great experience irrespective of where you're engaging with us. How does one become the CEO of SBS? Dumb luck, mate. I think by being dedicated to the place and being there for seven years and, and discovering a, a love of the network and, a, and its role in Australia and having the fortune of having a previous boss that gave me lots of opportunity to contribute. But a bit, bit of a mixed background, strategy, corporate development, business development. Do you want to sort of talk us through the 
sort of the highlights of the career? Yeah, sure, and and uh, and a few different industries too. I mean, I think uh, I actually started my career in in having been to university in, in consumer electronics and in yeah. industrial gases, and then I remember I, I finished my um, finished my master's degree, and I was lucky enough that one of the people on my course was also a recruiter, and okay. um, and they offered me a, a job uh, to apply for a job at the ABC. And I'd always been very interested in media and public broadcasting, and and so it was just a wonderful, wonderful timing in my career. I'd sort of, I think, I'd come to the end of my rope with with my current employer, and I was looking for something different. And uh, it was probably the best decision I've ever made because uh, I think the thing that I I've learnt through my career, uh, having worked as you say in in a number of industries mm. and in sort of a number of analytical roles, is that. One of the really nice things about media generally and public broadcasting in particular is that unlike when you're selling industrial products or industrial gases and yeah. the great jobs in those industries, yeah. uh, people make an emotional connection with their media product. Uh, they have a often have a, a strong response. They love what you're doing. They get angry. They get excited. They get upset. They get sad. They get inspired. But people don't have that response to... I don't know their industrial gas supplier. Yeah. They do have that response to their media provider. So I've always found the the industry quite quite inspiring from that perspective. But you've also been at Deloitte's. You've also had strategy roles. Yeah. Uh, so you've done professional services. And as you say, you've done heavy industrial. Um, did you find a lot of resistance to anybody on the other side of the fence bringing you across the board to ABC? I think I had a very soft landing at the ABC. That was pre my time at, at Deloitte. And um, I think that the wonderful thing about the ABC is I got an opportunity to work on you know every platform right across that organisation and to really learn about the media industry. I then went overseas for a couple of years and I worked uh, at, at British Telecom, yep. uh, you know, large British international telco, yep. and then came back and I came back just after the GFC. Uh, there weren't a lot of jobs around and, and out of good fortune, uh, Deloitte were looking for people to work in the consulting business who also had industry experience, who hadn't been professional consultants before but who had industry experience. And again, that was a really fantastic opportunity for, for me to rebuild my network in Australia and to discover the sort of place I wanted to work next. One of my clients was SBS and I got to do a sort of fairly significant piece of work for them. And, and off the back of that, uh, I remember ringing uh, Mike Abid, the former CEO. He had, they had a role advertised and he said, no, no, you're not appropriate for that role, but, but how about coming into our finance team and seeing if, if that can turn into, uh, into a CFO role over time? And, and it did. So Mike took the gamble? He did. He did. Can I just go back just a little bit? You had the exposure at BT. Mm-hmm. What was the time at BT like? BT's, you know, a British institution. Yep. Uh, a very large and complex organisation. Yep. Uh, you know, and a business that has operational separation between the wholesale and the consumer-facing parts of its business. Let's say it's culturally an organisation that, that was quite different to the experiences I'd had previously. Um, because of its size and, and, and its scale, it, it can often be hard to do things across organizational boundaries and organizations yep. like that. And that was the experience I had then at a pretty challenging time in the industry for BT. So, you know, whilst I learned an enormous amount, mm-hmm. um, what I discovered out of that experience and other experiences I've had is that I'm attracted to organizations where the product is something that resonates with me in the yep. way that media resonates with me. And if I look at SBS as a place that I work, it's sort of it's large enough to be relevant and impactful, but small enough such that you can get things to happen relatively quickly. So the takeaway from BT was to be far more what um, agile in, in your approach when you went to SBS. Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know I think one of the one of the lovely things about SBS is that it has a 
it has a greater good culture. So people care more about the organization than they do about their little piece of the organization, which is a pretty unique thing to have in an organization, particularly one as complex as SBS, doing many, many different things for many, many different audiences across many platforms. I think if you can harness that, particularly given the rate of change in the media industry, that's yeah. quite powerful. So James, what is SBS? Well, SBS is Australia's best public broadcaster. Uh, you know, it's, it's an organization that's existed for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, it was established to uh, contribute to a more inclusive Australian society, particularly through the lens of multicultural Australia, yeah. to take that wave of first and gener second generation Australians and make sure that they feel at home, that they feel connected to Australian society, and that such that all Australians feel like our diversity is our source of power, and that through harnessing that diversity, we can make a more wonderful place to live. Yeah. And the number of the number of radio channels, TV channels, you want to talk us through that? Sure, Just, sure. And the, and the role of digital now? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we broadcast in 68 languages on, on radio, and radio is not just about traditional audio. We've got a very large and growing digital platform, very significant growth in podcasts, doing kind of one and a half million podcast downloads a month, and significant growth in our digital. Uh, we have five free-to-air television channels. We recently launched our fifth channel, which was SBS World Movies. Okay. Uh, glad to say we're the only network in Australia with three high-definition channels. We've got about a 9% share of the linear television market now, up from about 5% a few years ago. So that's a really wonderful vote of confidence in SBS's offer by audiences. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've got a, a, a large and growing digital presence. So, you know, m m most notably um, identified by SBS On Demand, which is our our digital streaming product. We've got nearly 7 million registered users on that product now and the product growing at about 30% per annum. So a really fantastic vote of confidence in, in what is a very unique proposition in the Australian content market. So when Michael hired, hired you or appointed mm. you all those years ago, what in your mind stood out? What, is, what has changed so much in the last decade or so in this landscape? The market's become incredibly complex and that plays out in, in a number of ways. Uh, audience behaviour has changed dramatically. That's been driven by technology change and the availability of services. The level of competition in the market has changed massively. Uh, global players with with incredible scale are entering the market because the you know the marginal cost of doing so is very low now. And the advent of social media, which places different and new expectations on media organisations and creates a more complex ecosystem in which to operate because, of course, it opens up new and different distribution platforms which you, which you need to service. Now, at the same time, the great news is that audiences are consuming more content than ever before. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's an almost voracious appetite for quality content. And in a way, um, the introduction of global players into the Australian market has actually been good because a rising tide lifts all boats. And one of the things that Netflix has done for the market uh, is that it has normalised, if I can use that word, streaming consumption of content. Now, there are obviously opportunities to, to ensure that we have a fair playing field for all operators and, and that the regulation is applied appropriately to local and global players. But I'm pleased that audiences engage so strongly with digital products because that's a space where SBS can compete effectively and a space in which the, the breadth and variety of our content is really allowed to shine. So if you're a, if you're a traditional free-to-air player, 
um, one of the commercial networks, you, you typically have a lot of reality and a lot of sport, yeah. yep. which means you have things in your schedule that last for 15, 20, 30 weeks. And so you've got one thing you need to promote. SBS has lots and lots of little great things. And therefore, in a linear world, it can be hard for audiences to identify those things. But that, that variety is actually an advantage in a digital world, which is why SBS On Demand is going so strongly. And is free-to-air going to last for the next 10, 15 years? I think we'll see a, a slow and, and gradual decline in linear television, most notably in younger audiences. Right. At the same time, though, it's worth noting we've got an ageing population. Yep. And what, what our observation of our audiences are is that, that life stage changes mean that as people age, they tend to engage with linear television more. Now, that might change. Mm-hmm. I think, though, um, you know, I think part of the things that, that has changed at SBS, to, to go back to your earlier question, yep. is that we are absolutely platform agnostic. We want to be where the audiences are, okay. which is why we've invested so heavily in digital and, and quite, you know, quite, quite intentionally so. Uh, the lovely thing uh, about the SBS story is that we are picking, for every audience member that departs the linear platform, we're picking mm-hmm. up more than an audience member in the digital world. And that is, that is not been because we've abandoned our charter. In fact, we've, we've seen strength in really making sure that everything we do is in service of our charter, that when people tune into SBS, they are really clear and they know that they're watching or listening to SBS. Mm-hmm. And it's through that, that really differentiated offer that our strength comes. So why did you take the role as managing director? Because I, I really believe in public broadcasting and I think that it's incredibly important. I feel like that uh, SBS's purpose is incredibly prescient in Australia. We, we see you know, an abundance of polarisation everywhere in the world. Yes. I think that, that SBS's, uh, SBS's opportunity and that its purpose allows it to be very intentionally constructive. Uh, you know, we, we recently uh, commissioned a piece of economic research from Deloitte Access Economics, uh, which which demonstrates the positive correlation between levels of inclusion in a society yeah. and the economic prosperity of a society. There's about a $13 billion prize available to Australia if it can harness the power of inclusion. You know, more equality for women in the workforce, more access for, for people with a disability to work, uh, more inclusive environments for LGBTQI plus Australians yes. and better opportunities for migrants uh, to, to find work and to participate. And, and the wonderful thing about that story is that ASBS can have a really positive role in creating more inclusive Australian society and B, that inclusion isn't just good for the people who are being included, it's good for everyone. Not just because it feels good, but because it's good economically. And I think that's a really powerful message, and I feel like more so than ever before, SBS is in a really positive place to contribute towards that message and to make Australia a better place for all Australians. So what's the greatest fear then, as the Chief Exec? The pace of change. You know, there, there, are, there are many, many, many case studies of brands that, that disappear because they've not been able to respond quickly enough. Yeah. We don't worry too much about being able to accurately predict the future. I think a lot of strategic planning has in the past focused on trying to accurately predict what's going to happen five or ten years out. It's pretty tricky these days. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to have a view, but I think what's more important, the thing that we focus on more at SBS, is being able to respond to signals quickly. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know, I worry about the pace of change and I worry about making sure that we've got a team that is able to work together and to respond effectively. And so the thing I spend a lot of time doing is making sure that there's clarity around the strategy right across the organisation yeah. at all levels. Okay. 
that clarity of strategy creates context for people. When people have context, they're much more able to assess whether the things they're doing every day are in service of the strategy or, you know, the other thing. And so context setting and alignment is really important. Secondly, making sure that um, there is a culture of collaboration within the organisation and intentionally creating opportunities for people to collaborate for the benefit of audiences without talking about collaboration specifically. And then just making sure that we understand our audiences in a real authentic way and that we are always seeking to increase value for them. So how do you get this message out across your team? I meet with every single um, D minus one person, director minus one person in the organization at least three times a year. Okay. So I have a rolling series of conversations with them, 15 minutes. It just allows me to hear what they're saying and for me to share my views with them to make sure that you know that they feel engaged, I hear what they're worried about, I get their ideas, etc., and they've got some access to me. And we hold regular communication sessions with our staff. There's nothing unique about that. We've started using some technology platforms that allow people to ask questions live so that there's a degree of kind of transparency okay. and that people can ask questions anonymously so, so that you can deal with issues on the spot. That, okay. that exposes you to a bit of vulnerability as a leader, but, yeah. but it's really resonated with the staff. And, it, and it's such a credit to the staff because people ask sensible questions and they're engaged in that process and they treat that platform with respect as an opportunity for to have a proper exchange of ideas, which is which is really wonderful. I try to be very accessible as a leader. Mm-hmm. I think I think access or the lack of access is the death of leadership. Mm-hmm. So you know, simple things. I've come out of my office. Um, I've knocked down walls that used to separate the managing director's area from the rest of the organisation. The final thing I've done, which is really about making sure that communication pathways are always open, is just to just be myself. You know, I think, and that that might sound like an irrelevant observation, but I think I think the more you can be authentically yourself in these roles, yeah. uh, the more likely you are to have meaningful interactions with people. So, have you found the job being lonely since you've made the move into the CEO role? It's different i don't i don't know that i wouldn't i've not felt loneliness yet maybe because i'm talking to lots of people but um i'm not sure that loneliness is the way i would describe it i I feel i certainly feel a sense of responsibility for the organization yeah uh it's certainly different reporting to a board than it is reporting to an individual it's just a different dynamic yeah uh and as a first time ceo i'm sort of i'm aware of that just being different Mm -hmm. But but I do feel a heightened sense of responsibility to make sure that I leave the organisation stronger than than when I started. So what's the definition of success when you when you do walk away? I, I think there are there are a few things. Uh, the first is demonstrably more relevant when I leave than we are today, reaching more audiences, uh, more feedback around the the link between the work we do and the delivery of our charter. Okay. So a, a palpable sense amongst audiences, amongst policymakers in government, that SBS is delivering against its charter and making a positive contribution to Australian society. So that's the first thing. Yep. The second thing is a more inclusive Australian society, and there are various ways that, that we measure that, but I would like to feel like we have contributed towards making Australia a better and more inclusive place to live. Mm-hmm. The third thing is is sort of an internal observation. As a public broadcaster, we're a public good and we're provided with a privileged position to talk to Australia about being a better Australia, about being more inclusive. Yep. 
Now, if, we, if we're going to talk to Australia about inclusion, um, we better be world-class internally from an inclusion and diversity perspective. And so we are excellent on that front, but, but there, are, there are things that we haven't done yet. There are things that we can do better. And I want to make sure that when I leave the organisation, I can look back and say that it is truly not only a diverse organisation, but an organisation where everyone can participate, irrespective of where they're from, what they believe in, how they identify, what they look like, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm being quite explicit with, with the executive team around, around strategies to make sure that not only we maintain levels of diversity up and down the organisation, yeah. but there's, there's real opportunities to improve participation. Trust is a big thing for media. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the Australian public sits in regards to trusting the media? Yeah, I think I think we're not as trusted as I'd like us to be yeah. as an industry. So is that an opportunity? Absolutely. We, you know, we um, we've been talking about trust a lot yeah. uh, in the last twelve months. You know, that trust is particularly for a public broadcaster. It's a very valuable currency, and uh, when you lose it, it's really hard to to get back. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think that uh, for us to have the conversations we're having with Australia, to talk about, you know, what it's like to be a migrant in Australia, to yeah. talk about different cultures, to get people to engage with, with challenging topics, uh, you have to be trusted. We did a program called Hunting, which was a program which explored inappropriate use of, of technology amongst teenagers. Right, you know, okay. and, and, you know, that, you have to be trusted as a brand to have those conversations. This is, these are programs we're sending into people's lounge rooms. They create uncomfortable but important conversations between parents and, and children, between educators and parents, between educators and, and kids. And so you have to be trusted as a brand. Uh, you have to be seen to be coming from a place of good if you're going to be given permission by the Australian public to have those conversations. So, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about trust and we want all our leaders to think about trust in the context of their job, irrespective of whether they're on air or, or working in a, in a support part of the organisation. I think the thing for us through our content, though, is that, you know, particularly through our news and current affairs as an example, we're fortunate to be seen as a trusted source, an independent and impartial source of news and current affairs. And I think that, that sort of underpins trust in, in the overall brand. You touched on social media mm -hmm. earlier. Um, does that worry you as well? The fact that there's so much poor reporting in the world of media off the back of unverified information through social media? I think that's right. I think there's, there's lots, of, lots of news and other things on social media and, and, and content that pretends to be news, content that pretends to be fact. There's also um, a lot of risk for media organisations based on you know all the commentary that's associated with with genuine news and reporting and and the the, the, the sort of very important obligation on media organisations or, or any publisher to moderate commentary around your content. So social media is a complex space. I think it's a space that that needs more regulation. I think that uh, it's really important that, that social media platforms provide opportunities for legitimate providers of the news information to to be available now i'm pleased we've just done a deal with facebook facebook watch whereby more of our our news and information is going to be available through facebook watch and they've done deals with some other media providers i think that's a i think that's a positive step mm -hmm. i think it, it's seeking to address some of the more corrosive elements of of social media and the way in which people engage with it uh, 
but I'm particularly concerned about the risks that accrue to publishing organisations, which which might otherwise prevent them from accessing those platforms. We've had times where, because we haven't been able to allocate enough resource to moderation on social media platforms, yeah. we've had to avoid publishing on those platforms because as the publisher, we're responsible for the comments made by other people on other platforms about our content. So there was a case recently where another network had a legitimate story that was published on Facebook. Somebody else published a um, a defamatory comment underneath that story. Right. That publisher was held liable for that comment, <laughs> a comment by someone else made on another social media platform. So that's meant that from time to time we've decided not to publish on those platforms. I don't think it's in the interest of the Australian public to have a trusted and legitimate news provider withdrawing for particular platforms because they can't control comments made by other people below those stories. So I think there's more work to be done in that space. Was there any particular moment when you were sitting there one night and a program came up which SBS had produced or on radio which you said, well, I'm proud to be a part of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I have to say it, it happens all the time. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm particularly proud of hunting. I'm, you know, I'm particularly proud of where you're really from. I'm particularly proud of Untold Australia. There are many, many elements of our production right across the network which, which feel unique to me, which feel sincere, which are telling stories otherwise untold, which are which are giving a voice to communities often unheard. But I think the thing that 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 made me fall in love with SBS is. Mm -hmm is that when I started, I felt a genuine desire to do good amongst the staff, a real desire to be there, and and an understanding that if we work together, the network would, would be stronger. And so when I uh, my first interactions with SBS was as a consultant. I was working at Deloitte and I was doing a little bit of work for SBS. Yeah. And I sort of felt like there was a whole bunch of latent potential in the organisation. I felt like there were some real opportunities to help improve its operations and and to help it be clearer about its strategy. But I, I sort of had a feeling that it was sort of a rough diamond, if you will. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and if I look at the organization now, and of course this is, this is, this is a large credit to Micah Bede and, and to the whole executive team and to the board, but it's a fundamentally different organization now. There's a, there's a real sense of confidence in the organization about why it exists and the value it can add. It is undeniably the most efficient media organization in the country. Is it really? Against any measure, mate, uh, and 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 thankfully, you know that has been tested time and time again, and and you know many people have noted it, um, and we benchmark ourselves kind of regularly and aggressively. Mm -hmm. We're subscale. Um, it's unlikely we're going to be the recipients of massive injections of cash, yeah. and so and we we believe so strongly in our purpose that we have to be efficient and we have to be intentional. So great operational efficiency real clarity of strategy and brand, growing audience, and a really fantastic organizational culture. So I come home at night, I've got a choice, and I have to watch, a lot of the time, reality TV. Is that really where TV should be played? Well, it's not where we play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously a legitimate product, and, and there's obviously significant demand for it. I, I, I have no judgment about reality TV as a, a, as a good or bad offer for audiences. It's not a place that we play in without wanting to sound trite. We do a fair bit of real TV, yeah. so real stories about real Australians, and I think there's a demand for that. It allows us to engage all of Australia with, with really unique and, and interesting stories. I think, I think the, 
that the networks that that pursue reality TV do so for some pretty good reasons. It's it's relatively cost effective. They can pick up formats that are tried and tested in other markets, mm. and and it it fills lots of schedule for them. But it, it's just not a space that that we play in. What do you think Australians really want? I think they want different things at different at different stages of their life and different times of the day. I know what. What, what they tell us, though, is that they really like that they can come to us and find content they can't find anywhere else. 94% of our audiences tell us that, that they come to us for content they can't find anywhere else. Agreed on that. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think they want to feel a sense of our place in the world and they want to be exposed to different ideas from, from different cultures and from, from different people. I think they want to be, you know, informed, educated, and entertained, to use the the catchphrase. And I think you need to have a little bit of everything for for, for different segments of your audience, so that when they come to you, they feel like they have a choice. And finally, I think to your point earlier, they want to feel like they're engaging with an organisation that they can trust and that they know what they're going to get when they come in terms of your your curatorial ethos. So, in appointing people to join the team now, what are you looking for? My philosophy about recruitment is that you recruit for behaviours first and capability second. Okay. And I, I really believe that. I've, I've made the mistake in the past of being dazzled by someone's capabilities and not paying enough attention to how they play with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say there's one thing I say to every new recruit that, that enters the organisation that I have the opportunity to talk to. And I say, you know, um, if you can't work constructively with other people, if you can't play nice with your colleagues, if you can't do things with a smile, don't come because you'll be found out and we'll exit you. Behaviour is more important than capability. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have firm conversations. It doesn't mean you can't be direct with one another. Those things are really important at SBS. But you do need to be able to engage constructively because if you can't do it, then the t- you don't harness the capability of the broader teams and it slows you down. And so you know, I think that the thing that I observe at SBS is that it's come such a long way. We're never going to win because we've got more money than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And we can't control the things that we can't control. Mm-hmm. I, I can't control how much money a global competitor spends in the market or who, has a, who, who gets the, the big star on their program. What I can control, though, is the way in which we work together. I, when I say I, we as a team at SBS can control that. We can decide how we're going to behave with each other, the behaviours that we're going to value over other behaviours. And the thing that I, I really see as a positive attribute is the capacity of the SBS team to, every year that goes by, better understand the interconnectedness between each other and the ways in which working together helps our audiences and gets us to market faster. And so, you know, working better together not only makes it a better place to work, mm-hmm. a more engaging place to work, which becomes a kind of self-fulfilling, it's a, it's a ball rolling down a hill. Yeah. But it also means that um, you get more insight into your projects because more people are contributing and you get different perspectives. And it means that your throughput increases, which yeah, means right. you work faster. And as a, as a smaller broadcaster with a pretty specific purpose, mm-hmm. pace to market is really important. And so... What we've been focusing on as a team is to make sure that we are intentionally creating opportunities to bring a diversity of ideas to projects, mm-hmm. a diversity of seniority, creating creating explicit teaming opportunities around particular projects which which bring the best out of the collective wisdom of the team. 
making sure that all the participants are the right participants and that when we bring people into the organisation, we know that they've got the right behavioural traits to succeed and to help others around them succeed. So behaviours are more important than capability. Okay. And if I got that phone call to come on down to SBS and meet with you during that final interview, and I rang a couple of people up before I came down, and they said, double-check two things. Firstly, what's the funding looking like for the next five, ten years in the relationship <laughs> with the government? The second thing is, is there a chance to be acquired or partnered with or join with ABC? Mm. What's, what's your thoughts there? Well, you know, in relation to the first question, you know, I think we have enjoyed relative funding stability, and I think we have a strong relationship with government. And that, that's great, and and we we work hard to make sure that our stakeholder understands what we do and understands why we do it, and that we create clarity wherever per possible about our actions and our strategy. And we, and and governments of all persuasions have been supportive of SBS, and long may that continue. Yeah. In relation to funding, all I can say is that um, our funding's locked in for the next triennium, which is great. Uh, and that it's always our job to demonstrate to government and to the Australian public that we're a good investment, and we will continue to do that, whilst also seeking uh, opportunities to earn our own our own money, as we're a, you know a hybrid organisation and we earn about thirty percent of our funding ourselves through a series of commercial activities. In relation to the the other question about the potential for a merger, that that has come up a number of times over the last few years. I'm sure it'll come up again. I think the important things about those discussions is to um, is to recognise that mergers in and of themselves are solutions to particular problems, but not other opportunities or other problems. And so I'm yet to see a case for a merger uh, that delivers more value for the Australian public. Okay. And so I'm not scared of a merger discussion, but I'd want to make sure that 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 we we recognised if there was any value in the discussion. Mm. Uh, I think SBS is delivering against its purpose very clearly and very explicitly. I think there's a growing demand for our, our products. I'm yet to see a compelling case for a merger. Being nimble, being fast to market, as you said, do you have an innovation team? Or how, does, how does the ethos of innovation work through the organisation? Yeah, we, we, um, in the same way that we haven't isolated a specific digital team, we've tried yeah. to avoid creating a no, so you don't have the hubs and all that? No, yep. I sort of think, you know, just like digital, we want that to be part of everyone's job. Yep. You know, we, as I said, we, we, we try to mark ourselves to market and to learn from what's happening all around the world. Yep. We are always experimenting. Okay, so you encourage risk-taking? Indeed, indeed. And, you know, you know, we, for example, in our marketing area, uh, you know, our, our marketing budgets are, are much smaller than some of the other networks, as you might imagine. Yes. So our ethos is experiment with every single campaign. Because why wouldn't you? Yep. You know, you're never going to smash the ball out of the field with the amount of money you're spending on marketing or raising awareness. So we embed test and learn into every single one of our marketing campaigns. Because that way we are, we're learning every day. And the, the, the relative risk is tiny when you're spreading that across all your campaigns. We encourage risk by making sure that our response to things that don't go well is appropriate. Uh, that people genuinely feel like there's an opportunity to take risk and if things don't go exactly according to plan, then at least we'll have a, a calm conversation about what we can do better next time rather than engaging in a, in a witch hunt, for example. And I feel like, you know, the evidence is pretty clear that, that we're willing to take risks. There aren't too many networks launching new free-to-air channels at the moment. We've just launched SBS World Movies. It's, it's, it's been an extraordinary success. Uh, it's 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 kind of it's it's one of the clearest articulation of our charter that that I've ever seen. It it 
it, it in one breath is not only bolstering our linear platform by providing different and new opportunities for people to engage with us on linear. It's also helping drive audiences to digital platforms because, of course, many of the many of the movies that appear on World Movies appear on SBS On Demand. Yep. It's increased the volume of, of load content, languages other than English, that we are, we are broadcasting. Yep. And it, it's been an extraordinary success. Now, it, it might have turned out differently. I'm just pleased that we, we had a crack. I guess as a leader, you, you can't have all the information to make the decisions. How much information do you normally need to make, to make the big calls? I'm not sure I can give you a definitive answer. I think... Because um, you can get it right or wrong. You get public opinion right or wrong so quickly. What I try to do is make sure that the people who are expert in areas that are related to a decision have a voice yeah, right. and have access. Uh, as I said, I, I try to make sure I've got relationships with many, many more people than just my direct reports. And, and that's not because I don't have an awesome team, because I do. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for people right across the organization to feel like they can talk to me and be honest with me and be open with me. So I think that's really important in terms of getting access to data and just feeling the organization generally. Mm-hmm. When we've got to make big decisions, uh, I make sure that I avoid taking those decisions with tiny groups of people in a small meeting room. I try to first have a discussion with my executive okay. to give everyone explicit opportunities to talk, even if it's not necessarily in their lane, but I know they'll have a perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make a decision. Do you ring up an old mentor? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, sometimes. I mean, I've you know I've got asked to make a decision today, and and I said, give me twenty four hours. So I just want to I just want to think about it. Now it's not it's not time critical. So you know you need to make sure that you're not being rushed onto the ball <laughs> unnecessarily. Uh, but but I think you learn about those things over time, and and you you learn who you can take counsel from. And you start to trust yourself more in the combination of kind of head and heart or yep. gut and data or whatever. Yeah, gut and data, really good good heading. How much has the game changed from 20 years ago when a lot of people used to run by gut to this day and age all data analytics? Yeah, massively. Um, it, particularly in, in, in our digital platforms. Okay. There's still clearly a role for both. You know, clearly, you need to work out what what content to buy and, and yep. what content to commission. And there's still there's a higher degree of sort of curatorial and artistic you know, flair and, and flair and judgment yep. that that is is as yet replaced by robots. Yep. The wonderful thing about data is that it just helps you serve your audiences better. Now, I look at our radio offer, for example, our, yep. as we call it, audio and language content. Yeah. You know, for, for many years, we've been largely, you know, in an analog world, analog radio, blind to to audiences because, of course, the radio surveys are in English and we broadcast in languages other than English. <laughs> so it's pretty hard to get a sense of, of of who's consuming your data. Now, of course, we've looked at the census data and that's helped us work out every 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 time a census is run, mm-hmm. which which radio language we should start up and which we, sh- which, which we should reduce. Beautiful thing about digital is that we have... Absolute clarity about 
who's listening to which audio stream, who's downloading which podcast. And now for the first time ever, it means we can modulate our offer to match the demands of the audiences. Some language groups love text, some love podcasts, some love to stream stream the live service. And actually there's quite a big difference between different language groups. Is there really? And so so we can we can now modulate our offer to match the needs of the audience. And you can well imagine that on SPS On Demand, we have a plethora of data, too much data, yeah. <laughs> which tells us when someone watches this, what do they watch next? And... Um, which really gives us an opportunity to understand how to present information on a landing page yeah. and which content to promote in which other programs to to hopefully give people more opportunities to engage with us. So what was the genesis behind the decision on the movies? We are actually always talking about um, doing more with the same. So we're always trying to extend value to audiences. As I said, we're, we're a public good. So yeah. when you're a public good, you want to be, you want to be delivering public value. Yep. We've got a really long and rich history in world movies, and yet we didn't have a free-to-air offer in that space. We did for many years have a, have a world movies offer on, on, on pay television platforms, principally on, on Foxtel. Right, okay. And that relationship came to an end after, after many, many years, and, and, you know, and, and reasonably so. You know, Foxtel's been reassessing their proposition, and they decided to exit that channel. And it created an opportunity for us to take a whole raft of relationships we had with the many, many distributors around the world and to deliver you know, some incremental value to audiences. No one else is in, in, a, in the free-to-air landscape uh, curating a really high-quality world movies channel. And, and we've had extraordinary audience feedback. You know, as the, as the free-to-air market fragments, and you've probably noticed that there used to be a few free-to-air channels, now there are many, many more than a few. That's right. Yeah. That's because audiences are increasingly looking for very specific propositions as they as they channel surf. So you know that that fragmentation fragmentation of demand means that you 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 are rewarded by providing a fragmented offer to the extent that it's high quality. Secondly, for us, it, it allows us to cross promote our other linear channels yeah. off that new world movies channel. And it allows us to cross-promote and, and remind people of all the value that sits in SBS On Demand, our digital streaming offer. And if we wanted back all those years when I was growing up, everybody said news is critically important. That sets the tone for the organisation and for your viewers and therefore your revenue. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important part of our offer for a number of reasons. One, because just from a purely scheduling perspective, it's it's the start of the the prime time evening. So, you know, having a having a nice and effective and and relevant news offer there is is something that, that you know all free to air networks value and, and global news, which, which is a standout. Yep. That's right, and that's the second thing that that I think our news offering is unique in the Absolutely. Australian market. And, and if you've consumed it, you've seen that it, it is unique. Yep. It's, it's very much world focused in a way that other networks aren't. And and we allow we allow time for the story to be told in a nuanced way. We don't. We don't clip through things very quickly. And so I think you get a depth of analysis in our news that is, is difficult to find elsewhere. As I said, I think, I think news is fundamental to your levels of trust with audiences yeah. and, and, and our news is trusted and, and, and that's really valuable to us because it, it tells audiences that we can be trusted and that we are genuinely independent and impartial and unbiased in our, in our, in our news telling. You've had some recent success with regards to Handmaid's Tale. Wasn't there a bit of a story behind that? Yeah, Handmaid's Tale has been an extraordinary success for SBS. You know, we are we are really uh, we're really grateful to be able to tell that story to Australians. Uh, we, we think it's a story that really resonates with our charter, and and it's it, it sort of it is it is content that is at times uncomfortable, but it, it certainly makes you think about the sort of society that you do and don't want to live in. 
Uh, I think I think the story behind how we how we came across the Handmaid's Tale is that yeah. we we spotted it earlier than others, and and we we were we were fortunate enough to, to have a constructive relationship with the distributor and to secure it. The independence of media in this country. Where do you see it? Well, you know, I, I think uh, you know, there's there's always there's always a balance between the the, the very important and present needs of national security. Yeah. And the the value of an independent and free media, you know, and that I see that as as two forces that need to work with one another. I think that perhaps one of the unintended consequences of a series of pieces of legislation and regulation is that they have sought they have they have resulted in over time a lessening of 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 media freedom in the country. And so, you know, we are aligned with the rest of the media industry or you know, most of the players are, are very concerned about making sure that we don't have legislation with intention, which intentionally or otherwise constrains media freedom. I feel like the pendulum has swung a little bit too far um, in, in a way that makes it difficult for journalists to, to shine a light in, in places in the interest of the public. And so, you know, we're a member of the Right to Know Coalition, which is which is you know, having a constructive conversation with government and, and to the credit of government, they are listening and they're giving us access. And it's really important for us that we're, we're clear-minded about the role that media plays in a healthy democracy. It's really easy to forget the value of a free press in a free country. Yeah, agreed. And, you know... What happens over time in some countries is that those rights are diminished and it's not until you look back that you realise. And I think we're very passionate about making sure that Australia always always appreciates the value of a free, uh, impartial and and kind of inquisitive press that is empowered to to hold people to account and to, to tell honest stories to the Australian public about the performance of institutions or individuals. Looking at the world media, where do you see the reporting standards in, say, in the US? You've got the so-called fake media being put out there these days. Is that true, untrue? What What are your thoughts? Oh, truth relative, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think what's important is that uh, there will always be a, an array of voices in the market, and and they will there will there will always be credentialed and uncredentialed voices, and 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 the, the advent of social media has provided opportunities for anyone and everyone to have a view, yeah. and it's made it, it made it sometimes more difficult for audiences to see credentials, yeah, to to know whether they're receiving news from a trusted or an untrusted source. Mm. And so I think it, it's why media freedom is important. You know, th- there is a lot of noise out there. What we need to do is make sure that 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 our policymakers create an environment where trusted and legitimate sources of news, irrespective of which market they're operating in, are able to access the public. And so it's why, you know, the ACCC investigation into digital platforms and review of digital platforms is really important. It's really important that there's a degree of transparency to to the public and to, you know, legitimate publishers like SBS around the ways in which content is made available to audiences. Because increasingly audiences get all of their news, a large portion of audiences get all of their news through social media platforms, and you want to make sure that irrespective of people's views, 
you want to make sure that they have access to news from legitimate and credentialed sources. That's that's our, our concern and our, our hope, that, that we can continue to access audiences because we think we, we know that our news is high quality and, and is impartial. In regards to funding and revenue generation, what does SBS do? Well, in, in, in relation to revenue generation, you know, as I said, we earn you know, 25 to 30% of our total funding base through our own commercial activities. It's largely through advertising. Okay. We have some adjacent businesses. So, for example, we have a cultural competency business, which is, is, a, is a business-to-business training, online training product, which helps organizations provide training to their staff around Indigenous understanding, LGBTQI plus understanding. Okay gender equality-related training, um, disability training. And so that's, a, that's, that's, that's actually growing really quickly for us, and it, mm-hmm. it's obviously so authentic to our charter in terms of helping people understand difference and to, to harness the power of difference. Obviously, most of our revenue is, is, is advertising, yeah. principally television advertising. So I think we do that which most other networks do in terms of generating that revenue. What I'd say is that you know we're restricted to five minutes of advertising per hour, yeah. which is which is very different to a commercial network, which will have three times that amount of inventory, and that provides us with a point of difference in the market. It means we're taking far less relative revenue than those other organisations, so we're not much of a competitive threat. But it does mean because of the nature of our content, we've got quite a distinctive proposition to advertisers. Digital has provided us with new opportunities to earn revenue, which is mm-hmm. great because that's how we're funding the growth of digital. Okay. A growth which is unavoidable if you want to stay relevant as a network. You have to have a strong competitive digital offer for audiences. Mm-hmm. And then in relation to government funding, I think, as I said, you know, our job is to make sure that the Australian public and that parliamentarians understand why SBS exists and all the great work it does in service of its charter. Yeah. Now, you, you're also brought in this paper here today um, from Deloitte's, uh, talking about uh, improving social inclusion. Mm. Where's SBS going to go to that next step in your mind? Where, where's the value there that you can seize? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. The first is that I believe that uh, language okay. is is a really important. Uh, differentiator for SBS. You know, as I said before, we broadcast in six state languages, and that's principally through our radio audio services. Uh, earlier this year, uh, I announced that we are we are subtitling in in multiple languages much more of our own television content. So our current affairs content, the dramas that we make, the factual programs that we make. Yeah. We had not previously subtitled our own television content. Okay. We bought a lot of content with subtitles, yeah. world movies, for example. But now we are increasingly subtitling our own content. I think that's a inc- really sensible way to add more utility to people who want to reach uh, access content, Australian content, Australian stories in their first language. Mm-hmm. You know, people who, who come to Australia often come to Australia with, a, with different language skills. Yep. The way they can access local information, the way can, they can understand the society which they've joined, the way they can understand how to register to vote and how our political system works and how to get a driver's license and to learn about surf safety and to learn about Australian news and current affairs is often helped by accessing it in their first language. Mm-hmm. 
But of course, as people's, as people's experience in Australia evolves and they spend more time here, they often want their kids to learn the language and the place that they've, they've come. And as people get much older, they often revert to their first language. Yes. And so being able to, for people to be able to access information in the language of their choice is really powerful. And as you'd understand, there's nuance in your first language, which is often not there in your second language or your third language. So we're really amplifying our capability in that space. And we're going to be looking for ways to allow people to engage in their language of choice digitally with us well in a, in a much more authentic way. So there's more news to come there, but okay. I think we're really going to amplify that unique capability we've got in service of our audiences. So it sets every, that sets everybody else apart. That's right. And, and, and of course, what we're seeing now is that the, the, the beauty of that is that not only is that a, you know, a slam dunk in terms of delivery of our charter, yes. but advertisers are increasingly understanding the power of advertising in language to their customers as well. To, uh, complex messages, you know, you think about the responsibilities on financial institutions now right, to, yeah. to create clarity in their customers' mind about the contracts they're engaging in. Doing that in, in, in a language of someone's choices is a much more powerful and authentic way to do that. So language is, is really important to us and I think increasingly important to, to Australians. And the second thing is, is by having conversations like the conversation we started through the piece of work that we commissioned with Deloitte Access Economics. I think SBS has a sort of a unique understanding of multicultural Australia, a unique understanding of diversity in all its forms. Yes. And I, I think we want to make sure that we're part of the conversation around those things, part of the policy conversation that we're seeing by government as a mechanism by which to communicate to people in language and to promote social inclusion. Very powerful role. James, what does your normal day look like, if there is a normal day? Well, I, I've got a lovely wife and, and two lovely children uh, who that are four and seven, so the day normally starts pretty early and spending a little bit of time with them. They they get up when I do, which is at about, you know, 5.30. Okay. And then I try to get to the gym before work. I'm lucky that I have a gym across the road. I try and do that a few times a week if I can because that you know, stops me from going crazy. And And then, you know, the day just folds out as the day does. I mean, I think in terms of the difference between this role and previous roles mm. I've had, uh, the role's much less technical in its execution. So you spend a lot more time talking to people about the work they're doing rather than doing it yourself. And uh, and so that, that brings with it different challenges. There's obviously a sort of a ceremonial element to the role, which yep. is new and different and important. Enormous amount of time meeting with, you know, stakeholders of all different persuasions, uh, particularly members of, of, of the vast array of communities that Australia has to make sure you're understanding their perspectives on the things that are important to them, what they expect of, 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 a, of a public service broadcaster, feedback on how well you're doing or otherwise, yeah. and, and then making sure that you're taking that, you know, that sort of fairly wide-angle understanding of SBS and translating it for teams so that you can share what you're seeing and what you're hearing you know, to affect the way in which they're executing or to affect the way in which we're interpreting or, 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 or delivering or developing our strategy. Okay, you're from a background in strategy. Mm. Who sets the strategy? The chief exec? The board sets the strategy. Mm -hmm. You know, as corporate governance will tell you, the board sets the strategy. I think it does so at the advice of management. Yeah. Uh, you know, I th what, I, what I love about the relationship 
that the executive and the board has at SBS is that it's it's very informal, possibly the right word, but it's very informal. Yep. It's very open and very relaxed. Okay. You know, the board has had a long-standing practice whereby a number of the executive are invited into board meetings. So it's not just the truth according to the managing director. Yeah. I think that's a very healthy. I think it's a very healthy approach for Agreed. the organisation. Yeah. Uh, it delivers. It, it sort of it, it allows there to be proper relationships between members of the executive and the board, which are great. Which is great for transparency. It also allows for much more nuanced conversations to have, be had around the boardroom table. And we we have a sort of a, quite a. You know, the, the, the strategy has a degree of fluidity because it has to, mm. but we are quite programmatic in the nature of the conversations that we have throughout the year with the board around the strategy. You know, we, And so that what that means is by the time you're ready to ask the board to approve the strategy, you've had a series of conversations with them uh, that allows them to make an informed decision about the strategy. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, one of the, one of the, the best things about the way in which the board and management have engaged SBS is there's, there's that genuine relationship and that that uh, series of conversations that have occurred over the space of years, not not weeks. And how do you stay in touch with your market and sense offshore? You know, we have a number of people who attend various events right around the world. It's yeah. it's a global content market now and a yeah. global technology market now, and we yeah. have to have a presence in a number of those markets, and that's yeah. particularly important to us for two reasons. One, because we source content from so many different markets, unlike some other networks who are much more limited in their focus. And, and so we have to have relationships with distributors in many, many different parts of the world. And two, because we we tend to be relatively proactive in implementing new technology as an organization. I'll give you a couple of examples. Okay. Now, we were the first network in the world to fully outsource our presentation and play out end-to-end to an IP provider. So we outsourced that many years ago to an organization called Deluxe. Yep. Uh, we, you know, so they didn't have much, a large presence in Australia. They built a bigger presence off the back of our contract. We were a landmark client for them. It allowed us to um, build a new capability at much lower cost it involved a number of our employees going to work for them, which was great for those employees because they got to work for a global specialist in their field of expertise, not for a smaller broadcaster in one market. Yes. And it it allowed us to do things like start new channels much more quickly. So it was a world-first transaction. We just implemented a media asset management tool. Again, one of the few broadcasters anywhere in the world that's successfully done it which allowed us to decommission a whole series of bits of heavy technology that had been in the organization for a number of years. And this means that every program maker, everyone who's accessing partially finished or completely finished content, irrespective of whether in our television, our radio, our news, our online teams, is accessing it from one unified platform. The platform publishes to our digital platforms and to our linear platforms. Again, that saved us money it's also provided a better tool for our program makers. So we're we're pretty proactive in finding new technologies to either increase throughput or to reduce frustration or to reduce cost for the teams. And so that quite intentional approach to technology and operational efficiencies has seen a sort of a double-digit percentage growth in the amount of money spent on content over the last four years. Is that right? 
Okay. And that's extraordinarily important for a small organization yeah. like SBS because ultimately that's what audiences care about. Chief Exec, where do you um, make the time to think? I get to drive to and from work every day, so that that's actually a nice bit of clear space for me. Uh, I, I'm quite intentional with my diary as well. I I I park time in my diary to to review things and to think about things as well. I think um, we tried something at SBS a number of years ago, okay, go on. which was a meeting-free Wednesday morning. So we said to everyone, just put a block in your diary, Wednesday mornings, no meetings, and see how you go. Because like in all organizations, <laughs> people are complaining about the volume of meetings. Right. Now, I have, I have kept that. Now, you know, I've kept that ethos. I've not necessarily kept Wednesday morning. But when we did it, it just taught me that actually I control my diary. My diary doesn't control me. And I know the space I need to make certain decisions and I understand that I'm being paid as much as anything else to think. <laughs> so I need to make sure I've actually got time to think. Yeah. And if you don't, it's very easy to get locked into the day-to-day -day tactics and the dramas. And there's always something happening, right? And there's always things that you can engage yourself in or that people want you to engage in. Yeah. But you you do need space to see how the different inputs you're getting relate to one another and to also make sure that when you are going to engage in a conversation, you're going to be constructive about it and you've had the time to prepare for it and to you know, mull it over. Is there any chief execs that you've observed or read about that's been sort of um, impressed you or you've maybe followed some of their ideas? I think I take. You're about to say yes. I think I take little bits from lots of different people. Mm -hmm. I think the I think the things that and I, I sort of I'm not going to name anyone individually because you know the person unnamed takes offence. There are lots of people I've worked with or I've observed who who are who have who've, who you know I've drawn inspiration from. I think the things that I've valued in 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 people is a people being really authentic about who they are and there are chief executives that i think of who are just themselves yeah right yeah and i think i think that's very disarming for people and i think i think if you can just be if you can just be honest about who you are uh then then it just leads to much more constructive relationships and you know you see when you see ceos or any, any anyone in a, in a senior position is just being themselves, and it just reduces clutter and noise. Uh, I think you're also more likely to perform well if you're not spending ten percent of your bandwidth thinking about being someone you're not. So I think authenticity is really important to me. Uh, I think access is really access. I think those CEOs that I've I observe and I've respected most are people who are available and who will. And I know that's challenging and it's probably easier for me because I'm in a relatively small organization. Yeah. But I think um, your capacity to have an impact is enhanced by your capacity to hear a diversity of ideas and thoughts from people. And I think that if you surround yourself by a small coterie of people, then that's a risk because I think there's a process that goes on where people over time start to understand your patterns and therefore they tell you almost unconsciously what, what you want to hear or they communicate to you in a way that they think you want to hear information, which is reduces your capacity to be challenged or to think about things differently. And the one other thing I'll say is the, the, the observation about behaviours is something that I've observed in, in another leader that I worked with and they were very, very good and clear on behaviours and I think that it's too easy to fall into the trap of employing the person who's best at something 
in ignorance of how they go about their business with their colleagues. And I think so many organisations are paralysed or broken because there are a group of people who don't necessarily behave in a way that's constructive or that, that, that enhances teamwork or gives voice to the quieter person in the room or all those sort of poisonous things that can happen in any team. In the world where you're in now, which is heavily focused on technology, mm. are you looking at that um, startup market for smart ideas, looking for new people to join you from outside of the whole world? of you know, Traditionally, media is just hired pretty much from media. Mm. You can almost throw a blanket over um, the changes in, in leadership in this country. So what are you looking for? Yeah, we, um, you know, there are obviously some roles where you need to have particular yeah. skill sets, but I think we're, we're increasingly industry agnostic. You are, yeah. You yeah. know, we just employed a, a head of strategy came out of the transport industry. And actually, when you, when you okay. think about the sorts of challenges that people are facing, there are some pretty consistent themes that run through all industries. And the benefit of having someone from not of the media industry is they, they, they've just got a different perspective. And, and so I think that's really helpful. Uh, you know, so as I said, we, you know, we, the, the, the industry is, is so complicated now yeah. that there are, you know, we, we value, we value different perspectives. James, you said you get to meet, um, your listeners, um, and your viewers. Hmm. Um, has there, has, has there been an occasion when you've really impacted you when someone says, well, just following SBS for the last 30, 40 years? You know, what, what's been, it must have been sometime been very moving. You had some stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the things that always move me in relation to interactions with audiences is when they tell you that uh, you've given them a voice, you know, that you've given their community a voice, uh, that you've you've allowed you've allowed their community to shine on a network, that you've changed people's perspectives, you know, and and the nice thing about SBS's role in society is that it has really intimate and close relationships with with many many communities. And so every day when I meet with community groups, uh, whether they're you know whether they're members of a particular ethnic community or they're members of the LGBT community, yep. uh, what you hear is that you are you are giving them access to a platform that might, they might not otherwise have had. You know we've just done a series of um, short stories on SBS on demand, which is and there's I think sixteen or seventeen of them, and the okay. intent is to give program makers the opportunity to access, you know, a scale platform um, that they might not have otherwise accessed because the point of that scheme is to to bring diverse voices to our network. We've got a digital product called SBS Voices, which provides access to multicultural program uh, writers, uh, either fiction or non-fiction, to tell their stories, to share their opinions and views about the community from which they're from on a mainstream platform there are still communities in this country that find it difficult to share their stories mm -hmm. that are marginalized. And the more we can shine a light on the, the, the incredible array of talent in this country, the more likely people are to be open to the notion of inclusion. And if you look, to look back, James, to that young bloke many years ago starting his career, and as you say, you went into industrial, you went into strategy, you went into a competitor at one stage. Um, what advice would you give to the young James, to the, those future chief execs or aspiring executives out there listening today? Listen more. Yeah, I think um, listening is still an undervalued skill. Yeah. And I think that in my current role in particular, listening is really important. 
and really trying to get to the heart of what people are telling you, which is sometimes um, not what they're saying. So I think really actively listening and, and making sure that you're hearing people. It's particularly true when you're dealing with and working with people who are, you know, less senior than you in the organisation, making sure that, you know, people are often not necessarily saying everything that they feel or everything they've seen. So making sure you're creating opportunities for them to really speak up. Yeah. And one of the temptations in roles like this, any, any sort of senior role, is to rush to judgment, to snap through decisions quickly. And I think sometimes um, my first judgment is not, not necessarily the right thing, and I've seen that in myself before, where you, you get some information and your first instinct is to say it's this and then you reflect on it for a couple of moments or a day and you go, actually, no, I've, I've got a different perspective on that. And so, you know, uh, you know like... Like many people, I think quickly and I'm used to dealing with data and I think I know the answer to a great many questions. But in these roles in particular, you have to the, the time for reflection is really valuable. So listen more, don't rush to judgment. Obviously enjoy your job? I do. I love it. Do you laugh every day? I do. There's no other way, is there? Thank you for joining us today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate your time. You've been listening to No Limitations. No Limitations.